Skin in the game is an aphorism popularized by Warren Buffett, referring to the benefit of executives using their own money to buy stock in the company that they're running. It's to have a personal risk or a stake in the outcome of the business. It's an idea that was also vitally important to Lauren and me over the years. Although our children are grown and gone, at least mostly, um, even when they were young, we were big proponents of, of them having skin in the game in things that were important to them, rather than simply providing it, even when we could easily afford it. Because it's a simple fact of human nature that we generally take something more seriously when we have an ownership stake. It's why most of us are familiar with the phrase, drive it like it's a rental. And when it is, we do. Or at least I do. And so do my kids, especially when it's my car. Um, but generally speaking, our standards for our own homes and our own cars and our own toys and our own tools are higher than our standards for the things of others. This is so universally true that it's one of the aspects of human nature that Jesus came into the world to change. He said in Matthew 7, 12, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Something St. Paul echoed in, in Philippians 2, 3 through 5, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look only, or not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ. But not looking out, not having an ownership stake, is the way human nature is, apart from the transforming grace of God through Jesus, and if we're honest, sometimes despite it. And Jesus knew this and used it to contrast his commitment to his own sheep with the commitment of hired help. He pictures himself in today's gospel reading as a shepherd, and not just a shepherd, but the good shepherd described in Psalm 23. And he pictures his people as the sheep that he both owns and loves. And he contrasts the way the owner responds to wolves and the way the hired help responds. A hired hand who doesn't own the sheep sees the wolf coming and takes off. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He takes off because he's not concerned about the sheep. He's got zero skin in the game. Tending sheep is just a job for him. They don't really care about the sheep. They're there to make a few bucks, not because they love the sheep. And who really cares about a few sheep after all? 
But the reason Jesus mentioned these hired hands is not to talk about them, but to contrast that he's not like that. He's not a hired hand. He's the good shepherd and the owner of the sheep. He says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. The big difference being that the hired hand loves his life more than the sheep. But Jesus loves his sheep more than his life. Four times in this passage, Jesus says that he lays down his life for the sheep. In verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life. And in verse 18, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. The sheep are his. And because they are, he loves them more than he loves his own life. When he sees the wolves coming, he doesn't have the sheep, leave the sheep to be destroyed. He fights the wolves and saves the sheep and in so doing, lays down his life. So what's this really talking about? If, if we're the sheep that he loves, what are the wolves? What is, what is it that threatens to destroy us? There are at least three things, three wolves mentioned in the Gospel of John, three wolves that Jesus lays down his life to save us from. First is the wolf of sin. John 1.29 says of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Sin, and I'm not just talking about the sin of the other ideology or party or ethnicity or group or person and not sin in the abstract. I'm talking about public sin and private sin, that stuff you do when nobody is looking and sins of commission and sins of omission, your sin and my sin. It's a wolf that destroys us and the world and separates us from God. And Jesus came into the world to draw the wolf of sin off of us and onto himself and to die in the place of his sheep to accomplish it. When the good shepherd sacrifices himself for the flock, he then becomes like a lamb and bears the sin of many. Isaiah 53, 6 through 12, which we read during Lent, tells us all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for this generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for our transgressions of my people, and they made his, his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. 
and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Thanks be to God. The second and third wolves are death and judgment. Death is a great destroyer. It attacks and destroys everyone, great and small, rich and poor, men and women, every race, every creed. It's a ravenous and omnivorous wolf, and as such is an enemy. We know, we, we feel that when we've been in the presence of death, an enemy has been there. It's a monstrosity. It's a perversion of what ought to be. Death does something that should never happen. It disintegrates. It rips apart the body and the soul. And the gospel is absolutely resonant with our intuition about death. Death is an enemy, and it is out to get us. I'm talking, of course, about physical death. But the Bible tells us that spiritual death, the separation of the soul from God, who is the source of the soul, spiritual disintegration, eternal death is a pain and a misery and a despair that's so great that physical disintegration is only a hint of it. This is because, and I wish this were not the case, after death will come judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die and after that to face judgment. And Romans 6.23 says, The wages, the result, the outcome, the judgment of sin is death. But Jesus is not a weak shepherd. When those three wolves threaten his sheep, he lays down his life to destroy them and to save us from them. It says in John 25, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. When Jesus laid down his life, he saved us from these three destroying wolves, sin and death and judgment. He saw them coming and he went out to meet them. He drew them away from the flock and he gave his life to kill them and take away their power so that they could not destroy his sheep. And if the story ended there, there would still be a problem. If a flock of sheep lose their shepherd because he laid down his life to save them from a pack of wolves, they're now shepherdless. And I don't know about you, but I have never seen feral sheep. <laughs> they don't have somebody taking care of them, and their first response is, who's going to get me my supper? But even if no more wolves come, they'll sooner or later run out of green pasture and wander away into the desert valleys of death and perish. And in the end, the death of the shepherd will have been in vain. But the story doesn't end with a mangled shepherd lying dead among three dead wolves and sheep scattered, thirsting and starving in the desert. Verse 18 tells us why. Jesus says, no one takes my life for me. Of my own accord, I lay it down. This is critical for us to understand because death had no claim on him. 
and as it does on us. Death didn't come to Jesus. Jesus came to death. And when he came to death to save his sheep from sin and death and judgment, he came with the power and authority of God Almighty. He would die for sinners, but he would also rise again. That's why he said, I have authority to lay down my life and I have authority to take it up again. He decided by his own authority when he would give himself into the jaws of sin and death and judgment. And after he had lain among the slain for three days, he alone had the authority to take up his life again. And when he did, it became clear for all who would see that the battle had not been a draw with sin and death and judgment as triumphant as Jesus. With them dead and him dead, even Stephen, no, He alone had authority as the Son of God to take back his life, and therefore he alone was triumphant. Sin and death and judgment can never again destroy the sheep of Jesus. But not only that, the sheep now have a shepherd. Being a Christian isn't only about being saved from sin and death and judgment. It also means having a living shepherd to guide you and feed you and heal you and protect you and help you and love you. And if you've ever dreamed of a deep, deep love relationship, the words of verse 14 are extraordinary. I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Jesus took his life back again from death so that he might have that kind of personal relationship with all of his sheep. I know them, and they know me, and the relationship that we enjoy is like the relationship between God the Son and God the Father. And there's no more deep, no more satisfying relationship in the world than the eternal relationship between God the Father and God the Son. But there's more. He took back his life from sin and death and judgment, not only to prove that he and not they were triumphant, and not only to give himself to his sheep in the deepest personal love relationship, but also because he now has a worldwide mission to fulfill to, to, with the same authority and with, and with the same power in which he rose from the dead. It says in verse 16, And I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also And they shall hear my voice. They shall become one flock with one shepherd. Jesus did not come into the world to lay down his life only for a few Jewish disciples in Palestine. He has other sheep that are not of that fold. He has sheep in Antioch and Athens and Rome and Cairo and London and New York, even in London. (laughs) And New York and Mexico City and Sao Paulo, and Tokyo, and Manila, and Sydney, and Singapore, and Suva, and Beijing, and Calcutta, and Kabul, and Tehran, and Abuja, and Annapolis. (laughs) That bird's probably this big. After his resurrection, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 and 19, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. For us at Redeemer, 
that begins with proclaiming and promoting the gospel, giving ever more time, talent, and treasure to seeking the flourishing of our neighbors. neighbors. And because he moves now through our neighborhoods and workplaces and cities and the world with the same authority that raised him from the dead, he and his cause cannot be defeated. His sheep will hear his voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. What began with just a handful of men and women with the love and the spirit of the resurrected Christ, and it goes on today with 2.3 billion people from every country of the world rendering some kind of allegiance to Jesus. We need not be anxious, or as, as so many are today. We need not live in fear or def- defensiveness or hostility. The risen Christ cannot fail. He owns it all, and he reigns by virtue of an indestructible life with absolute authority over every created reality. His will will be done on earth. On the utterly critical question for each of us today is this. Are we his sheep? Are you one of Christ's sheep today? That is, do you hear his voice? Do you follow him? Do you trust in his saving work and promise of life? This is what it means to be his sheep. He says in John. John 10, 27, and 28, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Thanks be to God.